Welcome back to another episode of Public Problems. This is me, I'm your host Justin Bullock, and this is our second uh, week of publishing weekly episodes on Public Problems. Um, and for today's episode, we're trying something we haven't done in quite some time, which is record on Facebook Live. So uh, we'll be doing this occasionally as part of our um, part of our new activities, and uh, we won't be recording each of them live like this, but uh, we're trying out some, some new formats, uh, recording, <laughs> stumbling through my words today. So we're trying out Facebook Live as a, as a way of recording, and um, as an opportunity to sort of build up some more videos and maybe do some live recordings of the Public Problems podcast. Thanks to all of of you who followed along last week and who have been following along as we have been re-engaging in social media and picking back up our feed um, in, a, in a more regular way. So thank you for those of you that have been following along. Um, it's been a lot of fun to start brainstorming again about all the things that we might do with this podcast. So as building up the podcast this time, uh, as I mentioned in last week's episode, we are now... Um, using Patreon to support the page. And if you'd like to support some of the work that I'm doing, since I'm doing the public problems and some of the creative writing I'm doing now, you can do that on Patreon. There are three levels of support, very cleverly assistant, associate, and full support, or patrons as the word is Patreon uses for it. Um, and if you do support the podcast in the next two months, you'll receive a free copy of the book I'm working on right now, Low Wainwright, that should be published early July. Also, as part of Patreon support, if you do uh, if you do support us across these levels, you should also know that 10% of what you pledge is uh, going to the Giving What We Can campaign, um, and the Giving What We Can campaign highlights a number of the most effective charities in any year. And so at the end of this year, I'm going to select the top five charities from giving what we can and let you all vote on how to assign the funds that have been raised this year towards towards those ends. And so it'll be nice to be able to develop some resources for the podcast, but also be helping others as part of this. Um, and as we do become more active on Facebook again and in the digital space. Um, we're hoping to build out, I'm hoping to build out a little bit more of a community. So you'll see me reaching out more on Facebook, reaching out more to you as listeners and finding ways to get you involved with the, with the podcast. As part of the developing the Patreon support as well, um, we're going to do a couple of different events for subscribers. So we're going to do things like this, these live recordings. Those will, these, uh, some of these live recordings will be limited to those of you that subscribe. Also going to do an Ask Me Anything monthly for the full patrons. So we'll be doing that in both of those in February. And once you subscribe, you'll get emails um, with links to those events. So that's all that I have from the uh, updates for the episode this week. Um, I'm really um, looking forward to hopefully hearing from some of you. I really appreciate those of you that have already supported the show on Patreon. And as I posted on Facebook, I'm looking for guests um, that are broadly doing work in public service or 
people who are interested or um, finding ways to help contribute to the common good. So I want to hear some of your stories and talk with you. And we have our first volunteer that I'll be getting uh, interviewed in the next couple of weeks. Okay, so I'd like to move on from updates to reflect a little bit on last week's readings that I shared with you. Um, I shared two readings with you last week that were also posted in the Facebook page and onto Patreon and available in the description of the episodes. Um, the first one of these was a poem um, by Theodore Rothke um, called The Waking um, that I really enjoy. I read through the, uh, the poem with you a couple times. The uh, first two stanzas of this really stick with me, um, and I hope that you enjoyed the poem. Um, if you have any thoughts about it that you'd like to share, please comment on the, on the posts. Um, what really struck me with this is how hopeful it is while considering very serious topics like death and also offering practical takeaways or practical advice to the reader. This, um, these lines about, I wake to sleep and take my waking slow. have really been a nice refrain when I catch myself experiencing anxiety. Um, and this other line, we think by feeling what is there to know, is one that's really stayed with me as well as I continue to pay attention to my own thought processes and how they develop. This, this idea that we do think by feeling rather than kind of a rational, logical way continues to strike me as something uh, that feels true. So in addition to Rothke's great poem, um, I also shared with you uh, a little bit of work from me, uh, from the Mossbacher Institute, uh, on a Mossbacher takeaway, where a report uh, titled AI as a Double-Edged Sword. And what I was really hoping that you would take away from this reading and this discussion of AI as a Double-Edged Sword was thinking more nuanced about how some of the new technologies um, that affect our world, um, the ways in which they do that. And I think a lot of people approach artificial intelligence in particular as either something to be very afraid of under all circumstances or something to celebrate in all circumstances. And a lot of what we're going to be talking about in this podcast will also uh, keep bringing up these questions of these really powerful tools like AI and what they might mean for humanity. And this is something that I'm also going to be exploring in the book that I've been telling you about both on the podcast and on Facebook, which is Low, Rain, Low Wainwright. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that book and the, the inspiration for it here a little bit later. Um, but the fiction work is always, is also um, exploring the challenges of AI and how minds interact with one another, biological and mechanical. So I hope you enjoyed those two readings from the last episode. This week, I have two regular readings for you um, that I'm going to share, and then one to leave you with um, uh, at the end of the episode. So the first thing I'd like to share with you is a poem that was shared with me this week. Um, 
was again shared to me by my friend and former uh, literature teacher, uh, Robert Delisle. And um, this one is a little bit more lighthearted than Rothke's uh, focus on life and death. Um, this is by William Carlos Williams, and it's called Dance Ruse. So now I'll share with you Dance Ruse by William Carlos Williams. If I, when my wife is sleeping, and the baby and Kathleen are sleeping, and the sun is a flame white disc, and silken mists above shining trees, if I, in my north room, dance naked, grotesquely before my mirror, waving my shirt round my head, and singing softly to myself, I am lonely, lonely, I was born to be lonely, I am best so. If I admire my arms and my face, my shoulders, flanks, buttocks, against the yellow drawn shades, who shall say I am not the happy genius of my household? <laughs> I, I love this. It's a little bit, uh, it's fun. It's a little clever. I just want to read it to you one more time. And then we'll move on to the second reading. Again, this is Dance Roos by William Carlos Williams. If I, when my wife is sleeping, and the baby and Kathleen are sleeping, and the sun is a flame white disc in silken mists above shining trees, if I, in my north room, dance naked, grotesquely before my mirror, waving my shirt round my head, and singing softly to myself. I am lonely, lonely. I was born to be lonely. I am best so. If I admire my arms, my face, my shoulders, flanks, buttocks against the yellow drawn shades, who shall say I am not the happy genius of my household? I really enjoyed this one as well. It's again, doesn't uh, focus on death and life in the same types of ways as Rothke, but does sort of explore what it means to be at home, have comfort in your own home, dealing with loneliness and being in your own mind, and also just dancing about in your own home. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed that reading from William Carlos Williams. The next thing that I'd like to share with you today um, is in the realm of fiction rather than in the realm of academic work. And the book that I'm going to read from is the inspiration in large part for the Low Wainwright book, and it's called Odd John. Odd John was written by Olaf Stapleton and it was published in 1935. And um, this is this. Uh, one of the early stories of a wonderkin or um, kind of a superhuman, um, supernormal is the, is the term that uh, John applies to folks, but it's this early exploration of, of an idealized or an improved human and what they might think and how they might behave. And Stapleton built out, built out this 
character, John Wainwright, who the character from the Low Wainwright uh, shares a, a last name with. And it walks through the story of John developing, gathering other people like him, developing a colony, and some of the challenges that they encounter. And I'm going to read a couple of chapters from this book to you throughout, the, uh, throughout some podcast episodes to give you a little bit of a flavor of what I'm trying to build on for the Low Wainwright book. So, with that in mind, uh, you'll learn more from me about Olaf Stapleton and some of his universe that he built out. Um, we'll be at some point uh, talking through and working with Star Maker, which is maybe his most celebrated uh, work, and exploring some of his philosophy as well. Um, because I think as despite uh, some of his stuff being 100 years old, his ethics and his modern theory of ethics still have a lot to teach us today. So with that in mind, I'm going to read chapter one to you from Odd John. Um, and chapter one of Odd John is titled, John and the Author. When I told John that I intended to write his biography, he laughed. My dear man, he said. But of course it was inevitable. The word man on John's lips was often equivalent to fool. Well, I protested, a cat may look at a king. He replied, yes, but can it really see the king? Can you, puss, really see me? This from a queer child to a grown man. John was right. Though I had known him since he was a baby, and was, in a sense, intimate with him, I knew almost nothing of the inner, the real John. To this day, I know little but the amazing facts of his career. I know that he never walked till he was six, that before he was ten, he committed several burglaries and killed a policeman, that at eighteen, when he still looked a young boy, he founded his preposterous colony in the South Seas, and that at 23, in appearance, but little altered, he outwitted the six warships that the six great powers had sent to seize him. I know also how John and all his followers died. Such facts I know, and even at the risk of destruction by one or other of the six great powers, I shall tell the world all that I can remember. Something else I know which will be very difficult to explain. In a confused way, I know why he founded the, his colony. I know, too, that although he gave his whole energy to this task, he never seriously expected it to succeed. He was convinced that sooner or later, the world would find him out and destroy his work. Our chance, he once said, is not as much as one in a million. <laughs> and then he laughed. John's laugh was strangely disturbing. It was a low, rapid, crisp chuckle. It reminded me of that whispered, crackling prelude, which sometimes precedes a really great crash of thunder. But no thunder followed it, only a moment's silence, and for his hearers, an odd tingling of the scalp. I believe that this inhuman, this ruthless, but never malicious laugh of John's contained the key to all that baffles me in his character. Again and again, I asked myself, why? Why he laughed just then? 
what precisely was he laughing at? What did his laughter really mean? Was that strange noise really laughter at all? Or some emotional reaction incomprehensible to my kind? Why, for instance, did the infant John laugh through his tears when he had upset a kettle and was badly scalded? I was not present at his death, but I feel sure that when his end came, his, laugh, his last breath spent itself in zestful laughter. Why? And failing to answer these questions, I failed to understand the essential John. His laughter, I am convinced, sprang from some aspect of his experience entirely beyond my vision. I am, therefore, of course, as John affirmed, a very incompetent biographer. But if I keep silence, the facts of his unique career will be lost forever. In spite of my incompetence, I must record all that I can in the hope that if these pages fall into the hands of some being of John's own stature, he may imaginatively see through them to the strange but glorious spirit of John himself. That others of this kind, or approximately of his kind, are now alive, and that yet others will appear, is at least probable. But as John himself discovered, the great majority of these very rare supernormals, whom John sometimes called wide awakes, are either so delicate physically or so unbalanced mentally that they leave no considerable mark on the world. How pathetically one-sided the supernormal development may be revealed, may be is revealed in Mr. J.D. Beresford's account of the unhappy Victor Stott. I hope the following brief record will at least suggest a mind at once more strikingly superhuman and more broadly human. That the reader may look for something more than an intellectual prodigy, I will here at the outset try to give an impression of John's appearance in his 23rd and last summer. He was indeed far more like a boy than a man, though in some moods his youthful face would assume a curiously experienced and even patriarchal expression. Slender, long-limbed, and with that unfinished, cultish look characteristic of puberty, he had also a curiously finished grace all his own. Indeed, to those who had come to know him, he seemed a creature of ever novel beauty. But strangers were often revolted by his uncouth proportions. They called him spiderish. His body, they complained, was so insignificant, his legs and arms so long and lithe that his head all eye and brow. Now that I have set down these characters, I cannot conceive that they make for beauty. But in John, they did, at least for those of us who could look at him without preconceptions derived from Greek gods or film stars. With characteristic lack of false modesty, John once said to me, my looks are a rough test of people. If they don't begin to see me, if they don't begin to see me beautiful when they've had a chance to learn, I know they're dead inside and dangerous. But let me complete the description like his fellow colonists, John mostly went naked. His maleness, thus revealed, was immature in spite of his 23 years. His skin, burnt by the Polynesian sun, was a gray, almost a green-brown, warming to a ruddier tint in his cheeks. His hands were extremely large and sinewy. Somehow they seemed more mature than the rest of his body. Spiderish seemed appropriate in this connection also. His head was certainly large, but not out of proportion to his long limbs. 
Evidently, the unique development of his brain depended more on the manifold convolutions than on sheer bulk. All the same, his was a much larger head than it looked, for its visible bulk was scarcely at all occupied by the hair, which was but a close skull cap, a mere a mere superficies, <laughs> superficies, there we go, of a negroid but almost white wool. His, no, his nose was small, but broad, rather Mongolian perhaps. His lips large, but definite, were always active. They expressed a kind of running commentary on his thoughts and feelings. Yet many a time I have seen those lips harden into gr granitic stubbornness. John's eyes were indeed, according to ordinary standards, much too big for his face, which acquired thus a strangely cat-like or falcon-like expression. This was emphasized by the low and level eyebrows, but often completely abolished by a thoroughly boyish and even mischievous smile. The whites of John's eyes were almost invisible. The pupils were immense. The oddly green irises were mere, were mere filaments. But in tropical sunshine, the pupils narrowed to mere pinpricks. Altogether, his eyes were the most obviously queer part of him. His glance, however, had none of that weirdly compelling power recorded in the, gay, in the case of Victor Stott. Or rather, to fill their magic, one needed to have already learnt something of the formidable spirit that used them. And that is chapter one of Odd John. hope you enjoyed that. This is a little bit of a flavor of how Stapleton writes and presents this character. Um, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so I hope you can kind of have a little bit of a visual for John now. We'll come back, uh, check back in with him probably next week and hear some of his commentary on humanity. Okay, so those are the two main readings I wanted to share with you this week, um, but I have one other uh, section of a reading I'd like to leave with you. Today um, is January 18th. It's MLK Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the United States, and a friend of mine um, always posts the letter from a Birmingham jail um, that uh, King wrote in April of 1963. And his point in sharing that was that what a lot of what uh, King is remembered for is his I Have a Dream speech. And a lot of what he's remembered for is more of a moderate position than is actually true of what he said and what he had to write at the time. And in keeping that in mind, I wanted to share with you a portion of the letter from a Birmingham jail. And I, I picked this particular piece because I want you to think about the ways in which it also captures our current moment politically um, and some of the challenges that we have all the way here in 2021 as we prepare for an inauguration on Wednesday and as we come to terms with this is maybe the first in a long time presidential transition where it wasn't peaceful. We had a storming of the U.S. Capitol and an insurrection um, that was goaded along by the current president of the United States. And in kind of reflecting on that, some of the language here in uh, King's letter 
from a Birmingham jail stuck with me. So I'd like to leave it with you as a parting uh, thoughts for you uh, for this week, both as we celebrate MLK Day today and as we approach the inauguration this week. And we think about what all of the political situation today um, means and what we need to think about as steps forward and also which of these challenges are enduring in some ways. Okay. In spite of my shattered dreams, I came to Birmingham with the hope that the white religious leadership of this community would see the justice of our cause and with deep moral concern would serve as the channel through which our just grievances could reach the power structure. I had hoped that each of you would understand, but again, I have been disappointed. I have heard numerous Southern religious leaders admonish their worshipers to comply with desegregation, with a desegregation decision because it is the law. But I have longed to hear white ministers declare Follow this decree because integration is morally right and because the Negro is your brother. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churchmen stand on the sideline and mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities in the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice. I have heard many ministers say, those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern. And I have watched many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion, which makes a strange, unbiblical distinction between body and soul, between the sacred and the secular. I have traveled the length and breadth of Alabama, Mississippi, and all the other southern states. On sweltering summer days and crisp autumn mornings, I've looked at the South's beautiful churches with their lofty spires pointing heavenward. I've beheld the impressive outlines of her massive religious education buildings. Over and over, I've found myself asking, what kind of people worship here? Who is their God? Where were their voices when the lips of Governor Barnett dripped with words of interposition and nullification? Where were they when Governor Wallace gave a clarion call for defiance and hatred? Where were their voices of support when bruised and weary Negro men and women decided to rise from the dark dungeons of complacency to the bright hills of creative protest? I think these words are really relevant for today. Um, as we have lots of conversations about the soul of America and what it means to be an American and how we wrestle with the years under the Trump presidency and the harm that it has done to our way of life and to the American spirit and to just kind and gentle rhetoric and our ability to converse with one another. One of the things that this letter reminded me of is what I've seen play out again um, in the Donald Trump era is white evangelicals using their platform 
to spread hate towards minority groups and towards not only blacks, but also asylum seekers and immigrants, which all is such a, to me, a perversion of what you see in the Bible and what you see in, in Jesus's message in the New Testament of the Bible. Um, it's really an odd thing to hold both in your head at the same time. Hatred towards another race and hatred towards an outgroup and a love that that Christians claim um, as part of their uh, Christian fellowship. So, some thoughts with you uh, to leave with you this week. Um, as we uh, wind down here, um, we're coming in at right at 30 minutes again, so well done to me. Uh, the next episode will be released on Monday, January 25th. Um, I will be sharing uh, Chapter 10 of Odd John with you and some academic work of my own, artificial, a paper in the American Review of Public Administration titled Artificial Intelligence, Discretion, and Bureaucracy. Um, if you're following along on the Public Problems feed, um, you'll also be seeing some more posts from um, the Rabbit Weasel podcast coming up soon and from Bush School Uncorked as we're publishing our, having our first episode of Bush School Uncorked this uh, upcoming week, tomorrow actually. So thanks to those of you who are following uh, along on Public Problems. Again, uh, I hope you'll consider supporting us on Patreon. You can find links to that in our um, in the description here on our Facebook page and on our Patreon page, um, and consider supporting us. So thank you for following along and um, letting me try out this live recording with you today. And those of you listening along on the in the podcast uh, audio. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There'll be plenty more to come. And I'm um, looking forward to continuing this conversation weekly with, uh, with you all. So thanks so much and have a wonderful Monday.